Hey, good people. I'm so glad you decided to join me today. Today, we're talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, mm. <laughs> which is, is going to be interesting because I think this is one of the most misunderstood passages in the Bible. Um, and it's probably one of the most controversial passages in the Bible, <laughs> Uh especially in today's culture. And so it'll be fun to dissect it and to look into it. I've been actually studying this particular passage of scripture for years. And so it'll be um, interesting to dive into. And I just, you know, but we're going to start basically in the chapter we left off in, in 18. I'm going to backtrack to 18 because I do think that there are some things that are in 18 that are important to this story. And so we're going to talk about that. And I, I'm kind of talk. I'm teaching this evening from with a, a rather heavy heart. Um, in 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 really in, and it's funny to me as I was preparing to to sign on and to teach this. Um, you know, we we just talked about the call of Abraham, and how the call of Abraham and the blessings of Abraham and the promises to Abraham didn't make a lot of sense. Um, they they were not. I guess conventional. It wasn't like God came to a 23 year old and said, I'm going to make you a great nation and I'm going to bless your seed. Uh, he came to this old, ailing, decrepit man <laughs> and says, I'm going to bless your seed. And he hasn't had children and his, his wife has been barren up until this point. Um, and so it wasn't like God came to him. It's like God coming to my grandparents and my grandparents are in their seventies, uh, and saying that they're about to have children and God was going to allow their children to have some things. And if my grandparents got pregnant, I'm going to be looking crazy. Uh, and so that's kind of, that's kind of where we are, but it also kind of leads us to this, um, this, this, this awkward place and this discussion that we see Abraham having with God and, I think it, it highlights the heart of Abraham and it kind of highlights the heart of God. Um, and so we're just going to pick up in, in chapter 18, verse 16, and we're going to ride through the, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I, I'm going to present as many sides as I know to present. And as always, I want you to, to be like the church in Acts, the, like the Berean Jews, and receive the word with readiness of heart. But I want you to go back and do your own reading and your own study. And when you do your own reading, I want you to make sure that you you pair that with prayer. Uh, because it seems like everybody I encounter has their own interpretation of this particular passage of scripture. And I want you to get what God gives you. Okay. Um, to that avail, we'll begin moving through the scripture. And let's talk about it. Uh, verse 16 says, Then the men rose from there towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have not known in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went to Sodom, toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? 
Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you that you should do such a thing as this to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous would be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all earth do right? So the Lord said, if I find Sodom in Sodom, 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, indeed, now I am but dust and ashes, but taken hadn't have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than 50 righteous. Would you destroy all the city for the lack of five? So he said, if I find 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again. He said, suppose there were, there should be 40 found there. And he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 would be found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed, now I have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. And he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. But once more, suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So the Lord went his way as soon as he finished speaking with Abraham and Abraham returned to his space. What we find here is a dialogue between God, the CEO of the universe and Abraham, the man whom he has chosen to fulfill his purpose and to build his people through. And Abraham finds, and, 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 you know, I think we established last time that Abraham was a chosen man, but he was not a perfect man, that he was justified, but his justification in faith came not through him, but through his belief in God. And so we find Abraham here now negotiating with God because God has told him he is on the way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, which is where his nephew Lot lives. And so Abraham begins to intercede for Sodom. He begins to like, whoa, start negotiating with God because he hears what God is going to do. And he is really not his desire to see his nephew perish. It's not his desire to see these, these cities destroyed. And, and I, I would glean to believe that Abraham is sitting in a place where he is concerned about the outcome of these people. And so I, you know, I'll just go ahead and pull this Billy Graham and many others, actually one of the pastors I sat up under in Auburn in my early days here, uh, said that if God does not destroy America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom. And to some avail, I can agree with that. And to some avail, I can't. Um, because as you see, Abraham intercedes for Sodom and he says, if you'll find 50, will you destroy it? And he says he won't. And I'm willing to believe, I believe that there are 50 righteous people in America. I I don't know if we're righteous or holy as a whole. And I'm not going to make an argument on that because there's some hell that happens in this country on a regular basis. And it seems like we become more and more corrupt on a daily basis. But I believe that there are are more than 50 people who who truly seek the face of God. Um, And so that statement that God would have to destroy America and if he would have to apologize to Sodom if he doesn't destroy America, I believe, and you can call call me wrong on this, I believe God has not destroyed America because of the remnant of people here who believe, I mean, and earnestly believe the word and have a heart after Christ. Um, I, I believe that the, those are the people that are, are interceding or holding, holding back the wrath and the brimstone. And even if we want to parallel this bad boy to Revelation, you notice he removes his church 
before he allows chaos to embark or to, to happen on earth. He, he calls his, calls his people out of the chaos and then he allows it to ensue, uh, in, in such, in such a manner. And, and, and he never inflicts his wrath upon those with whom he is in communion with. And so we look at Sodom and Gomorrah and I, like I said, we, I, when we get into 18, there's a lot of explaining that needs to be done, but there's a wickedness going on in the city. There's, there's apparently so much wickedness going on that the angels or whomever is speaking to God has, has told him about it. And we know God is omniscient. He already knew, but, but it's so bad that other folks are talking about it. It's so bad that other people have, are having to bring it to his attention. And, and it's an issue. And, and, and I don't think that, you know, when we look around, I, I don't want you to think that God just destroys places because we are sinful. Cause all men are sinful. All of us have issues now, but when we remember, go back to Noah and the times of Noah, he destroyed the earth because of their sinfulness, but he still gave them a way out. He still allowed redemption. If they would have just gotten on the boat, the boat was available to anybody. Nobody but Noah's family accepted the invitation. And so as you see Abraham interceding on this, on the behalf of Sodom, uh, we see, we see them in this situation and they're like, and Abraham said, well, if, what, if, what if somebody's righteous? What if somebody is truly trying to do this thing right? Somebody who, who sees you, who is not worshiping other people, who are not doing the heinous things that are in. If, if, there's, if there's 10 or there's 20 or 30, 40, 50, God, will you destroy them? And he says he won't. And so I think that speaks to how disgusting um, of the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah was. Now, what the sins were, we'll discuss that in, in, in just a couple of seconds, but what I love here is that I think it, it becomes incredibly, incredibly important that we see that Abraham begins to realize that he, <laughs> there might not be 50 holy people in the city. <laughs> so God, what if it's 45? Like, <laughs> you know, oh, well, if it's 49, are you going to destroy them? And, and I think that that goes back to who are the most important people on the earth? You know, I think some people would argue that the president of the United States, although the most powerful, I, I don't know if he's the most important. Um, people would argue that that the those who lead Russia are the most important or or the priests are the most important or uh, the bishops and the pastors are the most important. Or people would argue that those who lead China or those who sit on the U.N. or sit in the Senate and parliamentary parliamentary spaces that you would, the argument would be that these are the people who are the most important on the earth. But I don't think that that's what the text is suggesting here. I think that those who believe on the name of the Lord are the most important. Because you see, he's willing not to do move out his plan because of them. We see with Hezekiah, when he when he tells Hezekiah, Hezekiah, get your affairs in order, I'm about, you're about to die. Hezekiah's heart was had, had been already turned toward God, but he says, God, I have been faithful to you. I have loved you. And he reminds the Lord of who he, what he has done and how faithful he has been to the Lord. And so the Lord grants him 10 more years because of his heart and because he was his home. And so righteousness shifts the heart of God. Now, I'm sure you've heard it and it is true, but obedience is better than sacrifice. And so God honors those who truly seek his face, who truly try to carry out his work. And he honors those and he, ha- he contends with them and they have his ear. Now, another thing that I want us to pull and I want us to notice is that 
in each situation, when it comes to mankind, whenever we see salvation of mankind or salvation of anybody or, or whenever God is getting ready to ch- charge some wrath, there is always an intercessor on the behalf of man. Um, we, we're, we're so jacked up. <laughs> we're so screwy. Um, that there's always a need for an intercessor, okay? In this situation, Abraham is the intercessor pleading that God not destroy them, okay? Uh, in, in, in the case of mankind, the intercessor is Jesus. Uh, we, we know that at this very moment, at this very second, some of us are screwing up and we're making mistakes and we're doing things that are not of God. And, and if we are saved, Jesus Christ is at the throne of God interceding on our behalf. Lord, look, daddy, I know that they've messed up and I know that they've done something that you're not proud of and that's something that is unacceptable in your sight. But I know them and I know that their heart is turned toward me. I know that they will try to do better. So give them another chance. God, I know that they're in a place that doesn't make a lot of sense. And I understand that, that you, you're, 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 when it comes to your rules that you, you're hard on them. But, but you remember when, when they beat me on the cross, you remember when, 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 when I took on sin. So let's throw that into the sea of forgetfulness. Not rem, let's not remember what they've done. And so we know that Jesus is on the throne next to his daddy interceding for us every second of every day, because every second of every day, somebody who is making some form of mistake. And so in each situation that we see in scripture, where God gets, begins to bring upon judgment, there is an intercessor that somebody is filling in the gap for mankind or for Sodom or for a situation. And as somebody is standing in the gap there, he's, He's standing in in place of us on the cross. Christ interceded for us. All of our sins, past, present and future were were put on him because and and we were and and metaphorically we were being we were the target but the cross was in between so every beating every lashing as they ripped off his beard as they pushed uh, as they pierced his hands as they mocked him and as they put a crown of thorns on him as they forced him to carry a big old tree and all of the things that he endured as they dehumanized him upon the cross all of that was targeted at you and me all of that was deserved by you and me. We all make mistakes so disgusting and so heinous and so, so hard. And, and, and he took it all. Now you knowing this and, you know, always thinking about this, we, we begin to feel like less than humans and, and, and there's no need to feel like less than humans because that's what humans do. We mess up from the foundations of the earth. That's what we do. We mess up. We do some wonderful things, some things that are noteworthy, things that people have written about. We're written about in the Bible all the time. A matter of fact, the whole Bible is about the love affair that we have between God and us. Um, But we mess up. We messed up in Genesis. And then we messed up again <laughs> later in Genesis and over and over in Genesis. And in Exodus, we messed up. In Leviticus, we messed up. Uh, and and, and, and in Numbers and Deuteronomy, we messed up. Uh, we messed up in Kings and Second Kings. We messed up in, in, in First Chronicles and Second Chronicles. We messed up uh, in Judges. And, and we messed up, you know, all throughout the Old Testament. We messed up in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <laughs> we messed up in First Corinthians. We messed up in the early 1900s, in the 1800s, in the 600s. We messed up in the, in, 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 in the World Wars. We messed up. Yet again, <laughs> we messed up, we messed up yet again, uh, in the two thousands. And, and I'm betting willing, I am willing to bet that at this very moment, one Christian somewhere is messing up and we will mess up in the next moment. Um, but yet he still allows someone, a Christ, a savior, a type of Christ, a model of Christ to intercede for us. 
because he loves us. Let's think let's think about it. Let's break it down. In relationships, I do a lot of relationship counseling. In relationships, you don't often allow an intercessor in your relationship unless you're willing to fix it. Okay? People who have decided that their marriage, their relationship, their friendship is over, they don't allow somebody to come and talk to them and try to fix it. Um, that's why that's why I live by this saying, if we can talk about it, if we can, we can fix it. Because usually in relationship, usually in situations like such, we don't allow somebody to come in and help us to fix it unless we want to fix it. We don't allow an intercessor per se, a counselor per se, a friend per se, a third party to come in and allow and try to fix something, get in between us and put us back together unless we want to fix it. And I think that speaks so much to how much he loves us. I believe that God loved the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. I believe he loved them, but he was so angry with them. He was so disgusted with them and the fact that they would not turn, you know, grew up in a church named Nineveh. Matter of fact, I'm still a member of, of that church. And if you're familiar with the story of Jonah and Noel, you know, he was sent to this place called Nineveh. And the people there were just as heinous, I would imagine, as Sodom and Gomorrah. But the difference between them and uh, Nineveh is that when the word came from Jonah as to what God has said, they turned. The, the word turned their hearts. And a matter of fact, they regard the turning around in Nineveh as the largest turnaround in the history of, of, of religion. They got there and the word came forth and those people said, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. We didn't mean to. Our hearts were, <laughs> let's turn around. You know, uh, I've heard it preached and it said the cats and the dogs were getting saved. <laughs> Everybody was getting saved at Nineveh when they heard the word. But that didn't happen. They didn't happen. That didn't happen. Lot was there. Lot knew Abraham, which means that by association, he was familiar with God. But yet there was hell there. There was not much fruit coming from Lot's presence there. Uh, and, 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 and that says very little. That, that says a lot for Lot. <laughs> that says a lot for Lot because when we think about those types of situations, usually when somebody of good character and of good moral value enters a space, somebody becomes curious of what they can do and how things can be turned. But you're sitting in this situation. Lot is present. He is not unfamiliar with God. He has seen what God has done for his, his uncle. And yet there's hell that prevails. You know, when we see what happens next chapter, his first thing is to still feed the depravity just in a different way. It's sick. There was a sickness. There was a soul sickness in Sodom. It just wasn't mental illness. It wasn't just physical illness. There was soul sickness in, in Sodom. And it had spread beyond virus, but to like decap. It was like HIV turning to AIDS in a spiritual sense. Like it had it began to eat at the very fibers of society. There was little hope for a new generation that it had. It was so deeply embedded in their being and in their people that it just ruined things. It ruined, it ruined the fibers of their society and it just hurts. And, and I think that's a question. Are we allowing things to ruin the fibers of our society, the fibers of our morality? Are we allowing certain doctrines in our homes that are killing our relationships and our marriages and our families are we allowing things in our homes? I mean, that's something you have to think about for your own household. 
That's something you have to think about for your own thing. I've had issues that when I realized that it was an issue, I said, this is eating at the very fiber of who I am. It is trying to enslave me. And you know what I had to do? I had to cut it off. There was no weaning me off of those issues. There was no trying to attack them one bite at a time. It was no come hell or high water. You got to go. And some things we have to do that. I have a friend who is grossly, uh, who was grossly addicted to sex. Um, and, and when I say grossly addicted to sex, I mean, grossly addicted to sex. Like, um, it was, it was an issue. It was one of those issues where you have to have an intervention. Um, it was so frequent that it was keeping him from his job. It was keeping him from remaining in church. It wasn't that he wouldn't show up to church. It, it was keeping him from remaining to, in church. And if it didn't keep him from remaining in church, it was keep making him late for church. I had a, he, he would, it, it was an issue that when he would come hang out with me, I would have to ask him, where have you been? And what have you been doing? Knowing that he had the issue. Some things will eat at the very fiber of you and they will begin to deteriorate your character. Okay, some sin, you know, like some sins are manageable and that's not to say to stay in them, but some of them you can kind of control. But some sins will begin to eat at you. And as they eat at you, they begin to eat at your relationships with people. They begin to eat at your job and they begin to eat at your family as they begin to eat through them. It's like a tapeworm. They begin to take your nutrients. Then you no longer have a desire to eat from from good nutrients or good ground. And you become so deprived that it's like a Romans one situation that you're so immersed in this sin you're so you're so into this sin that God just hands you over to it because you won't hear anything that he has to say and I'm not to look I'm gonna be real with you that's that's my biggest fear you know we can talk about all of this other stuff but that that is I mean short of missing the rapture and and I, I'm saved like I <laughs> sort of missing the rapture and being in a, a Romans one situation where you're so deep in sin that God hands you back over to yourself that you, you like here, <laughs> you handle this since you don't want to listen to me, you handle this. And like, God is, God is the CEO of life. God knows everything. He's omniscient, omnipotent. He's like all power. Like how? And he going to hand me over to me, little futile minded me. That's a place I don't, I don't wish to dwell. I don't wish to dwell there at all. At all. Well, I fight the sin thing. I'll. And so we, we find Sodom here and they're not, they're not in a good place. And so we're going to move on to chapter 19 where the plot thickens. Um, verse 19, verse one says, and now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them. He bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, here now, my Lord, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night, wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. He said, no, we will be spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly. So they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. Now, I think this is really important. First, this is a cultural norm in Middle, Middle Eastern societies in both uh, the Jewish tradition and the Muslim tradition. We know they all came from from Abraham in Middle Eastern society. Even today, should you be a guest in their home, there are certain protections that are afforded to you. And this is really important. This is why a lot of this story will make sense. 
when you are in their home, they are going to protect you more than they protect their family. They're going to make you as part of the family. There are things that will be extended unto you. Like they take hospitality to a whole nother level. We think we're hospitable. These people are, are absorbently hospitable. And so these angels, we know angels have the power to transfigure. So I'm sure they look like humans. These angels have appeared because they're on mission from God. Uh, God is talking about destroying Sodom and that is what their job is. They have come because their job is to get Lot and his family out. Okay. And this is, and we're going to get to that verse in just a second, but I, I just want to throw this in there and throw this out there that Lot Lot, Lot is not being saved because of Lot's well-doing. Lot is justified not because of what he is, but because of who he knows. Okay? Because he is kin to Abraham, he is saved. We, now, because we, if we look around, like think about that. I know I mentioned this just a second ago, but when we think about this thing, Lot... If he, if he was producing positive fruit, fruit of the spirit, if he was producing fruit as if he was walking with God, like Abraham, if he was producing fruit, like he was walking with God, like Noah, if he was producing fruit as if he were holy and righteous, he would be showing some of that. Some of that would be gleaning into somebody else's household, the people surrounding him in the city. Um, and we're going to see that the lot was not just some run of the mill guy. He had some rather great prestige in the city. The people respected him. But if he was living righteously and according to the way that he would have been, I'm, I'm willing to bet that there is a portion of him that could have been a preserver for Sodom and Gomorrah. But, but because of who he knew, he was uh, spared. And I think that's just a great parallel to the gospel, even though this is the gospel, but, but to the gospel of Christ, we are not saved because of what we've done. It doesn't matter how many good deeds we do. It doesn't matter how much don't money we donate, how many orphans we adopt, save, spend money on. It doesn't matter how many houses we build. It doesn't matter how many churches we plant. It doesn't matter how many good sermons I preach. It doesn't matter how many websites we construct. It doesn't matter how many good friends we have. It doesn't matter how, how many diverse, how diverse we are and how diverse our friend group is. It does not matter what we do there. That is not going to save you. It doesn't, I, I, it's just, it will not. But knowing Jesus Christ will. And so he is saved. I mean, it's a great parallel. And so he is saved. The saving of his house came because he knew Abraham and Abraham was chosen. But moving on. And he said, uh, verse four, he says, now before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every square surrounded the house. And they called, called to Lot and they said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out as we may know them carnally. Okay. It starts getting hairy here. Um, before they lay down, before the men went to bed, before anybody in the house went to bed, the men of Sodom came old and young. This wasn't just some group. This wasn't just the perverted uh, portion of this town. This was not just a few people. This was not, no, no, this was not the problem. Uh, everybody, every man, all the men, all the men came out um, and surrounded the house. They made a mob. A mob came and surrounded Lot's house, prestigious Lot, um, Lot and they, they asked for the men. And he said, bring them out that we may know them carnally. In other words, bring them out so we may rape them. Yeah, bring them out so we might rape them. Hmm. Wow. 
So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him and said, please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you and you may do them as well as you wish. Only do nothing to these men since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. He says, so he goes outside, and when he goes outside, this is how we know that Lot has a little bit of prestige in this town. Lot goes outside, and he can deal with, like, they don't they don't push him out. They don't throw the door open. They don't force their way in. Uh, when he comes out, they are willing to listen to him, even if they don't agree with it, what he has said. Uh, they're forceful in their lips, but not in their arms toward Lot. Um, hmm. And then they said, but here's my problem with Lot is these men have come to rape your guest and your solution to them raping your guest is to allow them to rape your daughters. Um, I have a problem with that. <laughs> I have a problem with all of it. Um, and, and I know we're, I know the purpose of this, this passage is to illuminate how wicked the people of Sodom were. Um, but I have a problem with, as a daddy, I, I mean, because I know my dad. My, if my dad assumes someone has done something to one of his girls, my dad is, I mean, he's irate. If you assume the worst of any of his children, my dad is like about to lose it. And he's, he's coming for bloody murder. His job, he takes his job as a protector very seriously. You're not going to, you're not going to do something to his children. He's not going to have the last word or the last action. Um, and so for him, I understand the culture was to protect your guests more than your family, but he, I, I'm sorry. I, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I, I have a problem with that, but I have a problem with the fact that there are, there are a mob of men outside trying to rape some other men. I have a problem with, there's a mob of people, a men outside trying to rape anybody. Um, and, and, and I think that that's the crux of, of this, this wickedness. And, 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 and a lot of people like to argue that this is a case for against, homosexuality and I don't think this is the passage to do that um I think this passage is about rape and depravity um I think this passage is about a reprovert mind and I think it ties itself really well into Romans 1 um with the reprovert mind and how after a while you gotta just throw you over to your your own thinking if you just want to be in sin he'll let you be in sin um and that doesn't mean that he's gonna cover you in sin but he'll just let you be in sin um, but I have a problem with this and I have a problem and, and, and look, and I'm, let me just be real. There are a lot of, um, schools of thought who believe that this, this very statement and this passage, um, is about ho- homosexuality and there is homosexual behavior, but I think with anybody and anything homosexual, like, ah, I think this is a rape issue. And you may not agree, and you you can uh, we we can talk about this, and we we uh, you may not agree. The problem that I see with this particular passage is that these men are trying because we know rape and and sex are are two different things. Ugh, I hate talking about this stuff, <laughs> but we know that rape is an act of dominance, and it's it's we know Cain and Abel. It wasn't a rape situation, but Cain and Abel, Cain killed Abel because he was threatening his dominance. 
Um, and so he had to, he wanted to inflect who was dominant in the situation. And so he killed him. I think that is a similar situation here. What I see in the, in the text is that they have shown up because they're trying to flex their power in the situation. And I think that this speaks parallel to what's happening today. It seems like every single day we see a new case of sexual harassment of some sort in the entertainment industry. We see people over and over again in order, if you want to be on my stage, if you want to be on my screen, you're going to have to sleep with me. You're going to have to do this. We see, we see people like, uh, we see like Bergstein who, who rapes girls on a regular basis. The president of the United States is talking about grabbing women's genitals. Um, and it's, it is it is a culture that is sick and it is heinous. And I believe that it parallels directly to Sodom and Gomorrah. And I don't believe it parallels to the homosexual behavior. Now, I, we can talk about that, too, because I think it has its own set of implications and, and chaos that needs to be discussed. Um, because I think promiscuity on anybody's behalf is sinful. Um, but what I see here in this particular passage is a rape issue and is a heart problem. And I believe the heart problem is an act of dominance trying to make yourself seem uh, superior to somebody or to flex and show your power. And so when we see everything, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with y'all, I am sick of turning on the news and finding out somebody else is guilty of raping somebody. Somebody else is guilty of sexual harassment. Like it, it disgusts me and it disturbs me on a level that just kind of makes me angry uh, that this is our norm. And, and if, if we want to make that parallel to Sodom and Gomorrah, yes, America is headed in that direction. Yes. The fact that that happens on the on the television so often, y'all, every day. Somebody new has new set allegations and several people are coming out and speaking to the stories of how they have been dehumanized. If you think for a moment that rape is about sexual gratification, we need to revisit what that means. OK, um, rape is about dehumanizing another person. It's about showing your dominance and your, your superiority to, or superiority to somebody and it doesn't mean you're superior, superior. It just means in your mind, you're superior and you want to show that to them. And, and, and I'm going to be honest with you. And, and a lot of people don't, I guess a lot of men don't understand this is that to a woman or to somebody that this happens to, this is the worst thing that can ever happen. Because if you kill me, I'm dead. And if I was saved, I went to heaven. If I went to hell, well, I went to hell. Um, but, but if I was, if I was saved, I went to heaven to live as Christ, to die as Cain. But if you rape somebody, they have to live with those things, live with that damage for the rest of their lives. Every time they go anywhere, they're looking over their shoulder. Anytime they, every time they, they, they go, they talk to somebody, they're, they're having issues and, and it, and it, and it messes with them. And, and it comes to that. Look, this comes from somebody who I have a whole side of the family where every female on that side of the family has been sexually harassed. Like, and so to sit around and hear the stories of that, it is absolutely positively disgusting. Um, and so that's what happens here. And, and, and if, if, that is, if that is what they're talking about, that God is going to have to apologize. If he doesn't do anything about America, he's going to have to apologize. Yes, I agree. But I think the good news for America is that there are probably more than 50 righteous people here. Uh, not 50%. But I think there are more than 50 righteous people here in this country. 
Uh, let's go ahead and move on. Verse 9, and they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than they will with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great. So the men, they became weary to try to find the door. Now, I think that it speaks to their depravity and their, to their state of mind really worse because first we realize the men that they're trying to, to take advantage of are angel. They are angelic. They have transfigured. They probably look like men. Um, the second thing is that when they pulled Lot into the house um, and they l- shut the door behind them, the angels struck the men blind, all the men out there. And here's the thing. Even after being struck blind, these men were still reaching, trying to get into the house, trying to pursue being sick and demented and twisted and to do things to other people to take to still pursue sin in such a vehement manner. And that's why I'm led to believe that they are in a Romans one situation and they have been thrown over, as the scripture says, to a reprovert mind. Um, because in the midst of blindness, I'm look and take this from somebody who has been blind. I hit my head about ooh, three years ago and I was blind for a week. Once you lose your vision, that becomes your focus. Let me just be real. When you can't see, you're not concerned with what everybody else is doing. When you cannot see, you're not really concerned <laughs> with, with what you were trying to do. Now you're focused on regaining your sight. At least maybe that was just my situation or my experience with it. Um, but these men, the, the scripture says that um, verse 11, and they struck the men who were in the doorway with the house with blindness, both small and great. And so they became weary trying to reach the door. They were still trying to reach the door. They were struggling, but they were still trying to reach the door. These people had a, in, an issue. They had an issue and they had an issue that they didn't really, that needed to be fixed. And I think, but you know, this, this, this passage deals with rape. It deals with a reprovert mind. It deals with issues that are disgusting. It deals with things that need to be fixed. Um, but even in dealing with that, it, it speaks to the state of the heart. Because they looked at their situations and they weren't really concerned with trying to fix it. How many of us have some things in our lives that we just don't want to fix? We just don't have any desire to fix it. We just don't, we, you know, we don't care to fix it. We are, we're so dead set in our ways. It doesn't matter that we just like, well, we're just going to deal with God on that. And, and I hate when I have conversations with people um, and, and they're like, well, I'm just going to have to talk to God about that as if his word changes. As if, <laughs> as if his word changes. But we, well, there are so many of us who are so dead set on getting our way that we're in unwilling to even consider that God may not be pleased. Or do we care? Or do y'all care? I care. <sighs> moving on, moving on. Verse 12. Then the men said to Lot, have you, as, have you anyone else there? Son-in-law, uh, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place. For we will, will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. 
So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters and said, get up, get out of this place. The Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. That's crazy, y'all. So first, first, the angels are there. Uh, he's, he's told them, he's told them to, um, that he's come to destroy it, but, but Lot has protected them. So not only does Lot, is Lot protecting them and does he know Abraham, but he has protected the angels. And so he's kind of found some favor in them, but we've been sent here to destroy this place. And so he says, We're, you're going to be preserved. Go get those with whom you love and, and get out of here. So he goes and he talks to his, his sons-in-law and they're just as of a depraved mind as the other men. And they laugh. <laughs> you crazy. We're not doing that. We're not leaving. So they don't get up and leave. So when morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. So the, it seems like the daughters and the husband, the daughters that were married are left to perish. Mm, that hurts. Oh, that hurts. But his, his two daughters that are living there with him, uh, that have not yet been married, and his wife, they're on their way off. So he says, look, get out of here, let, uh, uh, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. Well, there's another version. Let's see, what am I reading from? New King, the King James Version. I think I like it better because it says, um, let's see, the King James Version says, where is it, where is it, where is it, where is it? King James Version says, um, do not look behind you or stay anywhere in the plain, escape to the mountains. Um, wait, wait, wait. What he says, he says, until. Uh, arise, take your wife and your daughters, your two daughters who are here until. We can't do anything until you leave, okay? And so that word insinuates that they can't destroy anything until they get out of there. There's, there's a, a protection mechanism on this place as long as Lot is there. But he's saying, look, we got a job to do. And, and it's not really that we care a whole lot about you. And this is not me being mean. But it's not that we care a whole lot about you. But we can't destroy the city till you get out. So get out. Um... And if you'll go ahead and get out of this place, we can go ahead and, 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 ring, and ring out the fire and the brimstone because the, 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 the state of the heart, the state of the union here is despicable. And God can't allow that to remain the same here. So, and while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside of the city. So basically, Lot is just dragging his feet. Like, it's like he believes it, but he don't believe it. But he's dragging his feet, so he's lingering there, like trying to take his time. You know, like they're packing. You know how, when you're getting ready to go on a vacation, and somebody's just dragging their feet, and like, you're like, bro, come on. And that's just kind of what's going. So the angel's like, look, I don't have time for this. And they take their hands, and they drag them outside of the city. Takes, it literally says they takes the hands of him and the two daughters and the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had been brought them outside that he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, no, no, please, no, my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See, now this city is near enough to flee and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? My soul, my soul shall live. 
And he said to him, see, I have favored you concerning this thing also, and that I will not overthrow the city uh, for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape, therefore I cannot anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the, the name of the city was called Zoar. Now, this is something I want to point out here, is that they say, go to the mountains. We're about to destroy this thing. And Lot, Lot has the audacity. Well, I don't really want to go to the mountains. I'm not going to survive in the mountains. I'm not really cut out for the mountains. So I don't want to go there. My first book, uh, Cult of the Pit, Craving the Pit, talks about getting out of your pit, which is obviously Sodom and Gomorrah here, and getting to the peak of the mountain. But here's, here's one thing that we must notice, that everybody does not want to go to the mountaintops. We try to negotiate with God. God, can I go somewhere else? Can I do something else? Can I be something else? I know that you've got this great calling on me, but I really don't want to leave this calling. And I'm going to be real with y'all. Let's, let's just be transparent for a minute. I am weary about... Uh, about going certain places in ministry. Why? Because the pl- the more, the higher you go, the more that's required of you. And so the higher you go, I don't know if, you know, it's, it's like handling the altitude of the peak. And I believe that God will equip me with everything that I need for where he is taking me. But they, my humanity is like, mm, <laughs> do I really want to go there? Because if I get there, that's a long fall. And that's, I, I believe that's, that's, that's Satan. I don't believe that's God speaking. I don't believe spirit. God has given us a spirit of fear, but he's given that of, us that of a sound mind. Um, but he, 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 so he negotiates with the angel and the angels are really sick of lot at this point. And they're like, nah, bro, just go, just go, 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 fine. Go to Zoar. Fine. If that's where you want to go, go. Just don't stay here and don't look back. The sun had risen upon the earth and lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain and the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. Now, whether that's a literal pillar of salt or, or something else, I'm not sure. I've, I've read several other um, commentaries about that. And some people believe she literally became a pile of salt. And some people believe that she was like transfigured into something else. Um, the relevance of that, I'm not entirely sure. So yeah, take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> and Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he stood, but had stood before the Lord. And then he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And he saw, behold, the smoke of the land, which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow and he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. Whoo! Wow. And so Lot, Lot gets preserved. In the midst of all of that chaos, Lot gets preserved. But then that is not where the story ends, right? So then Lot went up to Zoar. And so, you know, at this point, his wife is dead. Um, and it's him and his two daughters. And then Lot went up to Zoar and dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zoar. And he and his two, two daughters dwelt in a cave. Mm. Called to the peak, craving a pit. Mm. 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 So, like I told you, the first book I wrote, Called to the Peak, Craving the Pit. He tells them to go to the mountaintops, go to the peak, go to the peak. And he says, I'll go to Zoar. Zoar is like a valley. They don't want to go to Zoar. He doesn't go to Zoar. So instead of dwelling in the place, in the middle place, he goes to a cave, like a pit. He goes and he dwells in, in darkness. Um, 
And I think a lot of us forfeit our destinies because we are afraid of where God is trying to tell us to go. So we try to, we negotiate with him to go somewhere lower. And then in the midst of trying to go lower, we become afraid of going to the middle place. And so we go down into the pit. And so we don't get anything of what God has desired. And we're trying to figure out what is going on in our life and why things are falling apart in our lives. And we're trying to figure out why we're not succeeding. Why, why is it that we're just full of frustrations and headaches and heartache and, and all of all kind of chaos and confusion? <sighs> And we, we would have just listened the first time and gone where he told us to go in the first place. He, he would have been able to prepare us um, a table in front of our enemies. And, and, and if we would have faced the fear the first time, um, we wouldn't be so afraid the second time. And as we would face the fear, as we are slowly going up the mountain, every step would become easier and easier as we would continue to move and we would fight the fatigue and we would go to the top of the mountain. Our lungs would be able to handle the capacity of the uh, of the of the mountaintop, you know, we could say that he he was talking about he couldn't be able to survive because the water was the air was so thin. But here's the thing about the journey to the top of a mountain: as you go, the the air gradually becomes thinner and thinner. It doesn't just go from thick to thin. So as you're gradually traveling up this mountain, your body is do- doing an adjustment act. So by, by the time that it, it reaches the top of the mountain, the body knows how to handle the thin air. So, but if you are just transplanted at the top of a mountain, sure, your body isn't going to know how to adapt and it's going to struggle with being there in with this thin air. You're going to need the technology that was not of that day. But here's the deal, y'all. Lot, although preserved, still didn't learn how to trust God. And his daughters were still of the reprovert mind that the men in, um, that the men in Sodom had which is it's sickening. It makes my stomach hurt. Um, because here we, he's, he and his two daughters dwelt in the cave, and the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man on the earth to come into us, which is not true. As the custom of all here on earth, they're hiding in a cave. There are plenty of people. Like, <laughs> you're hiding in a cave. There's no man on earth. There are, there's a man on earth. And, and they said, Come, let us, let us uh, make our father drink wine, and we'll lie with him. Yeah, we're going to rape our dad. That's a good idea. Like, what? What like the the mentality here is so broken. They have been thrown over into this because they have been immersed into this society. And here is my thing, y'all. I don't have kids, but I think that if you're listening to me and you have children, you've got to protect the state of the mind of your children. They might hate you for it. They may be upset with you for it, but you have to protect the state of the mind of your children because they will become slaves to these mentalities that they are surrounded by. You have to teach them. You have to become diligent. This is why I'm such a big proponent of Sunday school Bible study and and life groups in church. Because they need to be surrounded by like-minded believers because being immersed in the world will teach them to be of the world unless you immerse them in the church and to be of the church. They're removed from the chaos, but they're still of the chaos. Yeah, let's let's go rape our dad so that we'll have babies. As if there is no world outside of this cave. I'm, I tell y'all, this, this story just makes me, it just, ah. Mm. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the first brown went and lay with her father, and he did not know when she lay down and when she arose. It happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I will lay with my father last night. Let us make him drink again tonight. And you go in and you lie with him, and we may preserve the lineage of our father. Then they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose to lie with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus the daughters of Lot 
were with child by their father, and the firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day, and the younger she bore a son uh, called in his name Benami, and he is the people of Ammon. Now, just a fun fact, um, these two people groups that come from them are actually the only two people groups that are, are not under the rule of the Antichrist during um, the tribulation period, which is, I mean, that's, that's, that's interesting to me. But as you can see, the state of the heart of the people in Sodom and Gomorrah was foul. It was disgusting. And it's definitely not something we want to pattern our walk after. Um, I do encourage you to be like the church in Acts 17, like the Berean Jews, and search this word down daily. Search this down, and I want you to come and you pray on it, and you come to your own conclusions on it. Um, I really wish we had a more uplifting portion of scripture to read into today, um, but we don't. <laughs> I really wish we did because <laughs> this passage of scripture just kind of makes me mm, makes me a little upset. But it is part of the word of God, and I said we would go cover to cover, and sometimes going cover to cover means that we have to deal with hard things. We'll see a lot more of the things that kind of make me upset in reading the Bible when we get to Judges, and I do not look forward to it. And let me let me clarify this. They don't make me mad because of the fact that God destroys them. It just kind of makes me mad because of the state of their hearts. And it scares me that we can parallel that to our day and age. Um, but this is my appeal over and over and over again to get in church, to get in, in a Bible-believing church, and not just for Sunday morning. Church is important, y'all, because it creates community. It, communes a, it, it creates a place for us to go um, and commune with people who believe what we believe, who are struggling with the same realities that we deal with. I'm telling you, we look, we live in heinous times. And even though this is thousands of years ago, I want you to reflect on the conversation we had today and how well it parallels to the things that are in the news, the things that are happening today. We live in ugly times. And if we ever needed one another, that would be today. And if we ever needed a savior, that would be today. So it is my desire that you would find yourself a Bible-believing church. If you don't know Jesus Christ, as the free pardon of your sin, I, I want to help you get to know him. I want to help you get to know him. You need, you need a savior. And times seem too, too heinous not to know Jesus Christ. You know, it's, it's really simple. If you just say out loud that you believe him. And you believe in your heart that you believe that he died on the cross for your sins. You're saved. But salvation is only a piece of it. You know, it's important, y'all, that even as we are saved, that we pursue righteousness on a daily basis so that we don't assimilate to the chaos that is of this world. You know, we need Jesus and we need one another, y'all. That's why we go to church. I'm glad you tune into Bible school. But this should only be a piece of your walk. You need to find a community of believers 
loving believers who will hold you accountable, who will walk with you and talk with you. You know, that's why church is important. And I think we've forgotten what church is, y'all. And I know I'm just talking, but it's it's been on my heart all day today. We have forgotten. Worship is only a piece of church. Worship should be your lifestyle. (laughs) Studying the Word should be your lifestyle. But the church presents a fellowship that is not paralleled. We need these things. We need it. And and I'm going to tell you, I think my upbringing and my life is the way that was that because I grew up in a church community surrounded by people who were trying to live the same life I was trying to live. You know, I forged strong relationships that have elapsed 22 years. People I trust most came out of the church. Find a church. Look, I know that church hurt hurts, but so does family hurt and work hurt and all the rest of our issues. (laughs) Y'all, we need a savior. And as you find a savior, go find some other believers who believe what you believe. Because we're living, we're living in a time where you need to be a part of something meaningful. I hope you've heard my heart and you'll receive this. This has been Bible School with Reverend Kojo.